Welcome to a special trade line version of Wizards After Dark. I'm Fred Katz. I'm your host. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic. And uh, on the Skype line, I got a very, very special guest. My my editor, my boss, David Aldridge. It's so weird to be referred to as someone's boss. <laughs> it's true, but I, it's just weird. It's still weird for me. But yes, <laughs> glad to be here, Fred. <laughs> what, about, what about the boss? Just a boss in general. Ah! I wouldn't want to be the boss. That's too much paperwork. But um, <laughs> a boss, you know, that could be kind of fun. <laughs> so so, uh, so the last second, the Wizards ends up making a couple of corresponding deals. So yesterday, we're recording this thing on Friday morning. Uh, I'm going to try to get it out uh, very, very shortly after. Uh, the Wizards end up making a couple of deals right up against the deadline yesterday. They, they trade... Um, Isaiah Thomas to the Clippers as part of the Marcus Morris deal, and they get back Jerome Robinson. They also traded Yusuf Sanan, the second-round pick from from Ukraine in that deal, and then uh, to get a point guard back, they end up trading Jordan McRae, and and they they get back Shabazz Napier. Uh, as as now, I guess I don't know if he's going to start or if Ish is going to start or what because they like Ish with the second unit. What they're going to do about that, but that's more of a temporary thing. To me, to me, the thing is that they got Jerome Robinson. Who's a guy who uh, who they liked? What 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 did you make of their deadline? I was I was fine with everything they did. I mean, you know, they had to do something with Isaiah. It wasn't clear. I mean, obviously, there was no expectation he was going to be here next year. So you might as well see if you could get something for him. And if his contract or you know his his slot his roster slot facilitates a chance to get a guy that they really liked before the draft last year. And they would have taken if he had been available um, at 15 in Jerome Robinson, then, you know, that's to me, good roster management, good asset management, um, because you got, you got to bring in a guy that you really wanted to, you really liked for a guy that wasn't going to be part of your plans going forward. So that's, uh, that's how you flip an asset. Right. And I hate to refer to people as assets. So, um, but you know, in, in the transactional nature of the NBA these days, that's kind of where we're at. Um, so it, it, it's, it's a good job, I think, by the Wizards. Um, you know, I know they liked Sanan a little bit and thought maybe down the road he could be part of, you know, a contributor. But let's be honest, I mean, you're, you've kind of locked into John Wall <laughs> for $170 million. Uh, the likelihood of Sanan ever coming over in the next three to five years to have a meaningful role here is, is minute. Um, so uh, I had no problem with them, including in the deal. And once you trade Isaiah, you need a backup point guard. So getting Napier is fine. Shabazz Napier is a good, good veteran player. He plays hard. He tries to defend, um, you know, he's got a little moxie to him, which is good. Um, I, I still would say they, they had a backup point guard. In fact, they had two backup point guards here that they chose for whatever reason to let go. And so to me, using Jordan McRae, having to use Jordan McRae to get a backup point guard when you already had two in the, in the building does not make a lot of sense to me, but that's where they were after they waived the, the two young guys, Chioza and, and, and uh, Robinson. So, um, you know. Again, I don't have a problem with Napier. Um, I don't know if he's going to start either. I think it would be kind of 
odd. It would be kind of difficult for him to start. I would guess, wouldn't you guess that Peyton would continue to start, I would think, um, and, and nominally be the point guard, even though we both know that's not really what he does. Um, but in this lineup, that would probably be the best way to go. And then as time goes on, maybe you'll see. I mean, Napier's going to play. I, I, I don't have any doubt about that. Um, it's just a matter of whether he starts or not. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's possible. I mean, the thing is, I, w- I would assume they would they would split up Napier's and Ish's minutes, right? So, so I mean, you could you could have Peyton and Beal as your backcourt, and essentially in that case, Beal is just your point guard on offense, and Peyton can guard point guards on defense. But uh, I don't know, Scott. Scott talked about yesterday, like changing his rotations, and it's like. He changes rotations every day. Right. <laughs> Peyton, Peyton starts and plays six minutes one night, and then he's guarding Kyrie and playing twenty six the next night. What do, what are we, uh, like, what are we talking about? Bonga, Bonga's out of the rotation one night, and the next night he's starting. He changes rotation every single day. It's changed his lineup nine hundred days in a row. So that's not, it's not a huge thing for me. I could see him going with something uh, tonight against Dallas with the starting lineup, and then going with a totally different thing Sunday against Memphis and then a totally different thing Tuesday against Chicago because that's just kind of what the last, you know, two months or so has been. The weird the weird thing to me about their deadline, and and I do think you have to judge it, you, these two moves are related, so you have to judge them in conjunction as opposed to individually. But the the notable thing that I thought, and I'm I'm kind of with you on this, which is that, I don't know for certain they could have traded Jordan McRae and gotten back a second rounder, let's say. But if I were going to trade Jordan McRae, I get that their thought process was, all right, now we need to find a way to get a point guard because Isaiah's gone and we need a second point guard. That makes sense. But if I were going to trade Jordan McRae, I'd rather bring back a second round pick or something that could help me down the line as opposed to Shabazz Napier who's a, who's fine for this for this role but is number restricted free agent this year and is you know it doesn't it doesn't matter his contract is up he's he's really just a placeholder uh I'd rather bring back something that's more likely to help me down the line uh I think there were other ways to get you know Philadelphia waves Trey Burke let's say and Trey Burke is not a world beater but you've kind of said already going through this that you're okay with going through the year with Isaiah Thomas, you'll be fine going through it with Ish Smith and, and Trey Burke in that case. Trey Burke gets waived. It would have taken nothing to acquire him because you could have just taken a salary off of somebody's hands. Uh, I realize that's a little complicated with the Wizards luxury tax situation too, which makes things different because uh, Robinson makes more than Isaiah Thomas. I'm sure that contributed to the situation as well uh, where they had to trade a salary for a salary there to avoid the tax. Uh, but I don't know. I, I did think that was that was a little notable, but it's also hard to criticize because that, that deal, I think, kind of, uh, I think that happened for them very quickly and very up against the deadline. So they didn't really have the opportunity to be like, all right, we don't really want to trade Jordan. What can we do here? Uh, can we can we hold back Jordan and try somebody else? They might have just not had the time. And, and I think it's a lot easier, uh, you know, uh, a lot easier for us said than done when when we say oh they shouldn't have done Jordan but they could have done something else and all of a sudden they're in the moment and they've got 20 minutes to figure this out with the whole league you know close to done or working on other stuff and it's it's hard to call up and and say we need some semblance of a backup point guard you know in that short time uh, once once you bring you know 
Robinson in from the Clippers, you've, you've made your decision on Jordan McRae to me. I mean, that's kind of, you've kind of shown your hand there. So, um, and again, I'm not saying they were wrong to, to, to bring in Jordan, uh, Jerome Robinson because they like him a lot. I mean, and that's okay. I don't mind people bringing in guys they like, you know, if they think the guy can play, let's see if he can play, you know, so that's okay. Um, so they kind of made their decision, but I, I do agree with you in, in the sense that if you if you do decide, okay, it's time to trade, it's time to flip Jordan McRae. He's done about as much as he's going to do for us here. Um, I would have, it would have made, it would have been better long-term to do that for a pick down the road somewhere. A second, obviously it's not going to be a first. Um, as opposed to a guy that's probably, again, not going to be part of your plans going forward because when John comes back, it's going to be John and Ish next year, and the third point guard is not going to be a guy you want to put any money into. Um, so that's why, it's, again, it baffles me that you would have let two guys who make nothing, who could have easily served as your third point guard next year, leave your shop and then have to go trade for a guy that's not going to be here next year. So that, But again, that's the decision they made. Right. No, and that's fair. That's fair because they chose Peyton over Justin Robinson. That said, they I think they just didn't think Justin Robinson was as good as they thought he was. And they were like, at some point, we're going to have to cut ties. Might as well be now. I think it was as simple as that. At some point. They had him for two months. I don't know how you can make a decision on somebody on based on two months of G League games. I don't get that. I just don't get that. I'm, that doesn't make any sense to me. When you bring a guy in, you give him some guaranteed money to come sign as an undrafted free agent and you cut him after two months. He was here two months. He played for you for two months. How do you know? <laughs> how can you make a decision on somebody after two months of G League games? That's that That just doesn't make any sense. You know, it just doesn't, um, you know, you, you, you can't, that's not enough. That's not a big enough sample size. You know, the whole point of the G league is let's see what this, if this guy can hold up over a year, let's see if this guy can get better. You know, I mean, were his numbers so irredeemably bad that you had to get rid of him after two months of, of basketball of playing in, in the G league that I just don't, that does not seem to compute. When the whole point of the G League is to develop young players, you know, and make them better. Did they just throw their hands up after two months and say, well, this guy's just not going to get better. There's just, there's just no way he can improve. That, I just don't, I, that does not pass the smell test to me. I, I love that this podcast includes now multiple episodes with passionate rants about Justin Robinson. I don't even know if he's any good for it, but they don't know either is my point. They can't possibly yeah, know no, after two saying. months of G League games. <laughs> so, <laughs> that just doesn't make sense to me. I get it. I get what you're saying. I, I I was more okay with it at the time than you and Ben were. You and Ben are very on the same page with this one. Very on the same page. Uh, what do you think of the other Robinson? I, I'm I'm intrigued by Jerome Robinson. Uh, he, you know, what I think is really interesting with him when he first came in the league, the Clippers drafted him because everyone thought he was this very complete kind of offensive minded combo guard. And his first year and a half in the league, he has really struggled with his, with his shot and, and thus other aspects of offense. But whenever I watch a Clippers game and I was talking to somebody about this last night, whenever I watch a Clippers game. Like, he was one of their better defensive guards this year. I mean, he was pretty good defensively for them off the bench. And just, and 
I used to be when I was growing up. I was a huge college fan. I wanted to be a college basketball reporter. Like that was my that was my goal. That was what I always wanted to be. And I grew up loving college because I was a Clippers fan growing up in New York, and they didn't have league pass in like 1999. And I would watch Syracuse games, and I loved Big East basketball, and I watched college. And uh, then I got away from that when I started covering the NBA. And I I can't really speak to him, you know, at at BC. But that was his rep coming out, and then it just completely flipped to where it was like he wasn't known for defense, and now he's he's pretty good defensively. And if they can find ways to just recover some of the offense and make it half decent, uh, I could see why they're into him. And they loved him going into the 2018 draft. They have a lot of faith in their own kind of not just player development, but their own talent recognition skill as an organization. Because with Mo Wagner, they did a similar thing where they loved Wagner. They saw Wagner struggle uh, during his rookie year. And they thought, you know what? We still loved what we saw from him before he was with the Lakers. Let's make this happen and see if he can thrive in our system. And it obviously obviously has worked out extremely well. And I don't know if you can hope that, you know, Jerome Robinson goes that well. But uh, I think the whole Wagner situation, uh, the Berton situation, which was a similar thing where Tommy Shepard saw him play in Europe and saw him play when he was a teenager and saw him running off screens and, and, and shooting D3s and playing more similarly to how he plays now than to how he played in San Antonio where he was more of a standstill guy. I think those sorts of situations gave them some more confidence and thought and thinking, okay, you know what, we're identifying this stuff well early. Let's see if we can keep doing this and uh i think that factors in to the jerome robinson deal well i mean let's let's pump the brakes a little bit there's 14 games under 500 so let's stop you know <laughs> it's fine that they like mo wagner it's not like it's not like they're in the fifth spot in the east okay yes but if 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 mo wagner let's let's mo, be a little let's, wagner, let's temper our 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 wild enthusiasm for all the great personnel decisions they've made I'm if fine with what they've is, done this uh, year. Is healthy. I have if no Mo problem Wagner with is healthy. It. They're competing with Milwaukee. But let's let's <laughs> slow your roll on out the great talent well, evaluation. Oh, David, David, they've had they they had a good summer. I mean, look at where they started. I am they, fine with what they did. It is not a complete NBA roster. <laughs> let's no. just they have they have brought in some young guys with some upside. That's it's not that I'm saying it's easy to do. I'm saying when there's no expectations, you can take you can uh, you can justify bringing in someone and and crow about how all the good that they've done while ignoring the things that they struggle with. Okay, <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Um, so in regards to Robinson, you're you're right. The, you know the word on him coming out of college was that he was a very talented offensive player who might be able to play on the ball some. You know, he played for a really good kind of creative coach in Jim Christian at, at BC who put him, who gave him opportunities with sets and, you know, with some DHOs and, and pick and roll sets that, that allowed him to kind of play downhill. So, you know, there was a thought that maybe he could replicate at least some of that in the NBA and he may still may still well be able to do that. I will be intrigued to see if they give Jerome Robinson any minutes on the ball. That's at the one in what I would assume would be a backup role, because as you know, they've they've let Troy Brown do a lot of that this year, um, kind of be the nominal backup one 
uh, at times when when he plays with Ish Smith and, and bringing Ish off to, you know, in their offense, it doesn't they don't really have a, a true one anyway. So um, I'll just be curious to see how they use Robinson in that regard. And I, again, I have no problem with it. They really liked him coming out of college, um, and so I have no problem bringing in a young guy to to give him some minutes to see what he can do when he really gets to play, as opposed to kind of the spot minutes here and there he got with the Clippers, it's fine. It's fine as you continue to kind of develop your roster and, and um, see what they, what they can do, you know, and, you know, they did it with Troy Brown, obviously this year. And uh, since Jerome Robinson was taking two picks before him, I would assume over the next year and a half, they will do the same thing with Jerome Robinson to see where he is. And see what kind of where they think he can be in the in the grand scheme of things when John comes back next year. You forget, David, that my only other trade deadline as a Wizards beat writer, I was covering I was covering uh, Trevor Ariza trades and Otto Porter dumps for large rentals. Um, I think history can color our perspective with an organization, uh, and uh, I think it is at the very least encouraging that they're still at the phase where they're saying, okay, this guy's 22. He might be good. He might not be good. We think that he's good. We thought he was good. Let's take a flyer. Let's not really give anything of consequence up and let's take a flyer. And I think uh, I have a story that's going to be up on, on the site probably by the time this podcast comes out, just going over, Tommy Shepard's propensity to being able to slide in as the third team. And I think it all kind of ties back to the let's take a flyer sort of mentality and casting the wide net. It's like, no, there's not a lot of talent on the roster. They've had 10 months of doing this now, right? Where, I mean, last trade trade deadline, they were... They were dumping salary and they were holding on to Trevor Ariza. They were holding on to Jeff Green. I mean, they were still very much in the mentality of we're 10 games under 500, but let's chase this eight seed at the detriment of our future. And that was obviously a huge problem. Now they're whatever they are, four and a half back of the eight seed, and they are very comfortable not getting the eight seed because they can't defend and they lose a lot more than they win. Um, but that was the case last year too. And I I think it's uh, I think it's fair to be looking at this and saying like, all right, there's, they're still casting the wide net. The point of casting the wide net is that it takes more than 10 months. And eventually at some point you kind of have firmer edges. And like right now, the Wagner thing worked. The Bertans thing worked. The Justin Robinson thing was not handled well and didn't work. Uh, there are a million guys, you know, Posich next. We'll, we'll see. I, I don't know if that worked yet or not. Uh, but they're, they're throwing out the net and I think it's at least encouraging that they're, they're throwing out the net and, you know, seeing, seeing what sticks. I'm fine with that, Fred. All I'm saying is let's not make it look like they, this is an incredible turnaround. What they've done is re is, 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 you know, rejigger their roster, which is fine for a rebuilding team. I don't have any problem with it. But I don't want to hear about the the incredible success story of Mo Wagner on a team that's historically bad defensively. It's one of the worst defenses in the history of this league. 
Okay, that's all I'm saying. They could. It's fine to take a look at young guys. I have. I'm. It is the right thing to do when you're rebuilding. You know, it's the right thing to do. Now, I could argue if you really wanted to rebuild, there was a way that you could accelerate your rebuild last summer, and you could have gotten multiple first-round picks and young players. They chose not to do that. Their choice, not mine. <laughs> Their call. So that's so. I'm. But again, having that to the side. I'm fine with everything they've done. I'm fine with every transaction that they've made, every decision they made, except for Robinson um, or Chioza. Either one of them would have been fine with me. Um, I'm just saying, let's just let's just see where things are in a year, you know, and and, and we can evaluate what, how this rebuild is going, as opposed to just. Young guys are better than old guys. Well, we all agree on that. <laughs> yes, young guys are better than old guys. You know, guys with upside are better than veterans who have peaked and are on the downhill slope. We all agree on that. Um, so, you know, I'm, I, I have no problem with, with any of the, you know, with the moves that they made. I have no problem with, with you know, Hachimura at eight. I have no problem with, I love what they did in the second round to get Schofield good on them. They don't, you know, I love that they value second round picks now where they didn't for years. Um, all of those things are great. Um, but let's not pretend like this is some incredible turnaround this year. You know, they're in a, they're in a bad conference and they just lost at home to the worst team in the league, giving up 125 points. So there's pluses and minuses. That's all I'm saying. It's a, there's a, you got to look at the whole thing, not just, yay, we made a, you know, we got in on a trade and we were able to get three young guys. Okay, good. Better than not. <laughs> but let's temper our expectations a little bit and temper our enjoyment of this team. You can enjoy the offense while still pointing out how horrendous they are on defense. Speaking of which, I am very curious over these last 33 games to see because I've heard a lot of they're only bad on defense because of Isaiah Thomas. And I've heard a lot of that. And obviously that that's a massive impact. These next 33 games, the numbers bear out, by the way, they got a 120 defensive rating with Isaiah Thomas on the floor and a 112 and a half with him off the floor, which is like 112 and a half is still really bad. I mean, that's still like that. If, if that belonged to a team, it would be 25th in the NBA. It's still really bad. 120 is by far the worst in the history of the NBA. So it's still a ginormous difference. I'm curious to see, uh, with Isaiah Thomas gone, we're going to see exactly how much of it was Isaiah Thomas and exactly how much of it was the rest of the guys who 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 don't defend either and the lack of room protection, the lack of communication, and all the other things where, where they've struggled. So I am very curious to see what happens with their defense these last 33 games because – it's about as as stark. Well, I shouldn't say it's about as stark because it's not like because you know Ish is not a world beater defensively, and and Shabazz is not. It's not like Shabazz is an all defense guy, but but it, it is an interesting experiment of all right. How much does bad point guard defense kill you? Because they have been really bad at the point of attack this year, where they just let guys get middle over and over and over and over again, and. Uh, Let's see when they have a personnel change that are a point guard. Yeah, I, look, I I think it's I think it's fair to say that while it wasn't all on Isaiah, certainly it's not all on Isaiah. It's, there's five guys out there. 
No, it is but, a lot. But the but the head but the point guard is to use that worn out cliche. The head is a snake. Um, and just as you could you could rightly criticize John over the last couple of years for laying on screens, for not fighting through through, through screens, for letting guys who aren't as good as him blow by him on a regular basis and compromise the defense. That's exactly what Isaiah did as well. So um, you have to have someone on the ball that can flatten the opposition guy out. You have to, if you're going to have any chance to defend in this league. Um, so, I mean, the, like you said, the numbers are the numbers. I mean, those, those are stark numbers. And it was, it was clear to me that even though you had guys, you were playing guys that were not great defenders and Bradley's got to take some of the, some of the responsibility for this too. I mean, he was not exactly lighting the world on fire defensively this year. Um, but at least it seemed to me you had other guys, most of the other guys on this team were at least giving you nominal defensive effort, right? I mean, they were at least trying to do the right thing. They made made mistakes and they may have, um, you know, not looked at the scouting report or whatever, or rotated late or whatever, but at least you saw somebody, you saw guys trying to get to the right spot and do the right thing. And Isaiah just was not doing that. Just wasn't. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, whether he couldn't or wouldn't, or I, I don't know. Um, it just, it just was so stark when he was out on the floor. And again, it's easy for other guys to kind of say, it's his fault. It's his fault. It's his fault. Um, but, I tend to agree with you. I mean, I tend to think that the rest of the team was at least trying to do defensively what they were supposed to be doing more often than not. And I just did not see Isaiah in that realm, you know, and it's just hard when it's your starting point guard. It's not your third guard. You know, it's not your backup guard, it's your starting point guard. And that sets the tone for, for the evening, you know, and it just seemed clear to me that while Ish Smith is limited defensively and is not a lockdown defender by any means, you were getting at least better, better effort at the point of attack with Ish Smith defensively. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're just getting somebody who's going to move his feet more too, which is quite the big difference. Uh, anything else you have in your mind before we wrap up? No, I just want, I, I, you know, I, I will be curious to see, you know, how they use Robinson. To me, that's what the last, you know, 30 plus games of this season is, is going to be most curious to me. And maybe to a, a lesser degree, will they will they at least experiment with Achimura at the threesome down the stretch? Um, and I'm not, I'm agnostic on it. I don't. I don't think it really matters if he plays the three or the four. I just wonder if they think it matters to some degree and if they'll take a look at him um, in that regard. Because, you know, for for draft purposes, I think you need to know what you think he is, right? I mean, you need to, you know, you need to, is he a, is he a, a, a four? He's not a stretch four, at least not yet, right? So, um, but can he guard threes? I mean, these are things you're going to have to, um, and it, you know, I know it's numberless basketball and all that now. So, um, but you know, who, who, who can he guard, I guess would be the main question going forward, but you want, I want to see, you know, who he is. I mean, we, we kind of got some small sense in the, in the games he played before the injury, what he was offensively, but I still had very little idea of who he was defensively. So I'll be curious to look at that as well. Yeah. I mean, I, my, my prediction so I think they're going to close games with Bertans and, and Rui at the forward spots a lot. 
And my prediction is they are going to try Rui guarding threes a lot there and see what they have. Because one of the things, so my, my concern with re-signing Bertans, and I don't think it's like crazy or anything like that to re-sign Bertans. It's just, I think when you're, you're in the position that they're in, it's not just about this guy's a free agent and he's in his prime, so trade him for young guys or trade him for draft picks. To me, it's more about roster construction and fit. And if you pay him whatever he commands this summer, whether it's $13 million a year or $18 million a year, whatever that salary is, you're going to be paying him enough so that he probably has to be part of your closing lineup in order to be important enough for that salary to matter, or at least part of your closing lineup a lot of the time. And he's still probably not going to start, which is fine. Starting is overrated to me. It's, it's, it's is he part of your best lineup that you use the most? Uh, that's, that's really what matters in the important moments. So if he's got to be started, part of your important closing lineup, all of a sudden you're talking about four of your five closing guys being John Wall, Bradley Beal, Davis Bertans, and probably Rui Hachimura if if Rui goes as well as, you know, on the path that they have him on right now. And then, you know, whoever you have at center, whether it's Bryant or Wagner or they find another center this summer or or whatever. But it's probably those four guys. And if you have those four guys, then you're weak defensively on the wing. Like I don't know who down the stretch of games with six minutes left to go in a six-point game, I don't know who's guarding a big wing in that scenario and doing it successfully. And I think in a best-case scenario, I think they hope, and I don't want to project onto Rui like, oh, this is what they think is going to happen. I just think that they hope that they're, they think that their best case of that working out well is if Rui becomes somebody who can guard threes capably. And... And and we'll see if he can. I, I don't really know. We haven't seen it. He has defended like a rookie this year, as rookies tend to do. Uh, but uh, but I do agree that that's probably their best hope of that happening because Davis Bertans is all of a sudden going to become a you know a, 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 a just a lockdown defender on the perimeter. And I think Beal will get better if the team is better because a lot of his problems are effort based, and he was much better defensively two years ago. But but Beal is not the guy who you want guarding LeBron down the stretch or Kawhi down the stretch or Paul George down the stretch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a problem. And it, and it's the, it's the conundrum of, of Bertans because he's, he's not a good shooter. He's an elite shooter, right? I mean, there's just nobody, there's no big in the league that shoots like this guy right now to me. I mean, um, from, from distance, um, and so you you know you pay for elite talent. I get that, but it just, but to but they they run the risk of going right back into the with the Otto Porter conundrum. Like what is what can you pay your third best player, right? Even if you, for the sake of argument, you're saying well he's our third best player now, and in two years Hachimura is going to be our third best player, and we'll be paying our third best player a lot less. True, but you're still paying now. You're paying your fourth best player you know, this incredible amount of money, which is really not sustainable in this league, unless he's giving you, you know, again, Draymond Green level of two-way basketball. It's hard to pay your fourth best guy that kind of cheddar, right? So um, it's um, it's a problem. It's a, it's a dilemma. I, you know, it's, and I don't have an answer for that. I don't, I don't really know what you should do in that situation. Um you know, I, you know, my instinct would be to say trade at the high end at the height of his value, but I get the idea of, we'd like to see what this guy does 
with a really good pass passing point guard in John Wall, um, who who sucks in defenses. I I understand that, um, but long term is that is that the best you know use of resources? And to your point, if you're paying a guy 16, 17 million dollars a year, he's got to be on the floor at the end of a game, doesn't he? And if he's on the floor, who's he guarding? You know what I mean? So that's it's a problem. It's a problem. And you know, unless you want to make him a five, which I guess you could do, right? I suppose you could play him as a The Rockets would do it. Yeah, I, I suppose you could play him as a five. I guess you could, right? If you wanted to play Hachimura at the four and and you know, pray to the basketball gods that my my guy Bonga becomes, you know, worthy of being on the court at the end of games and can could so he could guard the wing that you talk about on the other teams. Um, I guess you could do that, right? Um, so it is possible that you could do that with Bertans, but it's a dilemma. It really is. Anything uh anything you you are working on or have worked on, you uh you wanna plug? Draft deadline moves or not moves, and some teams that didn't make moves made made the right decision, like Indiana, for example, and uh, a couple of other teams. Um, so, uh, yeah, you just have to get back to to. And then I've got a pod. I got to do my podcast now. Everybody has a podcast. My mailman's got a podcast, so everybody in the world has a podcast now. So I have to do my podcast this afternoon with with the fantastic G- J E Skeets. Uh, and Waz Lambray will be knocking that out on Hoops Adjacent. I don't know if it's going to drop today, Friday, or on, over the weekend, but uh, take a listen. Uh, we enjoy doing it, and we talk about basketball and other stuff. Great. And uh, you can go on The Athletic DC to read all of David's stuff, same place you can find mine. Also, quickly before we go, I had a couple of pieces up this week that I think Wizards fans would uh, would enjoy reading, both of them about John Wall. Uh, one of them about how I, I, I originally spoke to John where I, I wanted to talk to him just about how he's helping his teammates while on the bench. Because if you talk to John, if you know John, that dude is just an encyclopedia of basketball knowledge. And I knew he was going out of his way to help his teammates. And I wanted to talk to him about how he was using his expertise in order to act as almost like an assistant coach and giving guys advice during games and and John was nice enough to help me out on that and when I spoke to him I figured he'd give me like the procedural three to four minutes you'll get in an interview and I figured he'd be good because John's a good interview and that would be it and and he did and then we just kept talking and we talked for almost 20 minutes just about basketball and about how defense has changed since his last healthy season and his rehab and when he wants to come back and why he's taking his time and 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 he talked about high school basketball he had a moment where i asked him how so how do you know so much about high school basketball and he started talking about women's high school basketball recruiting and like the guy is just just follows the game at such a granular level it's unbelievable and i think if you're a wizards fan it is really interesting it was really interesting for me to have that conversation and i thought he was great he was engaged he was smart um, he was opinionated and, uh, and, and it's really interesting to see into the mind of, of a five-time all-star and how they think about basketball. And we just, I didn't want to talk to him about anything other than just, I wanted the theme to just be like talking to hoops with John Wall. And I think John was into it and I was excited to put it out. So we did the coaching story. And then on Wednesday, we've got a story called the conversation with John Wall, uh, basketball philosophy, rehab, patience on returning and why he'll make a great general manager, uh, which is just a long Q and a. 
And that's that transcribed Q&A that I have with John, which I think is worth a read through as well. So you can check that out on the site. You can subscribe to The Athletic at 40% off at theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark. That's 40% off on an annual subscription at theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark. You can head on to iTunes and subscribe to Wizards After Dark. If you're just randomly listening to this episode, you can give us a review. You can give us five stars if you're feeling really nice. Um, David, thanks for coming on, man. My pleasure, Fred. Always good to talk to you. And um, we will see you at, uh, at a Capital One Arena near you soon, I'm sure. Yes, and uh, I'll be back with another post-game show following the Memphis game on Sunday night. So that'll be back on Monday morning, and uh, I will talk to you guys then.